best message ever. I want to read uh, nine verses from the book of Mark, Mark 8. I'm going to pray, take just a moment of silence, and then we're going to dive into the scripture. Mark 8, 27 to 38. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Snickers from the crowd. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this revelation of scripture. Thank you for this story preserved for us to see. Jesus in action with the disciples, maybe to see ourselves in the disciples. And I ask, Lord, that um, just as Peter got a revelation of who you are, I ask that we would get a revelation, a new revelation, a clearer picture, Jesus, of who you are in us, through us, surrounding us, and leading us. Holy Spirit, Come and fill this place in each mind and heart and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. I've heard Mike Bickle say that um, sort of the, the twofold aim of preaching is to uh, comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. So put yourself in whatever category you'd like and prepare yourself. Um, not so much for my words, but for the words of Jesus. Um, this is a hard-hitting passage, and um, we're just going to jump right into it. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And the disciples are interacting. This is, it's like they think it's a multiple-choice question. Oh, I don't know. John the Baptist? Um, Elijah? I mean, those were big guys. One of the prophets? And he asked them, and he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter sort of the outspoken, the spokesman of the crowd, the one who is always willing to open mouth and insert foot, um, says in a beautiful way this time, Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And commentators on the book of Mark for years would say, this is the turning point of the gospel of Mark. This is it. This is the the hinge of the gospel of Mark. We've seen all this power, all all this immediately, 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 and all this action. And this is the 
turning point of the Gospel of Mark because it's the turning point for the disciples. They've watched Jesus act, but now they're getting a revelation of who Jesus is. They're coming face to face with the reality. This is no normal man. This, this is God. So Peter declares his faith. It's strong. It's powerful. It's revolutionary. Actually, in the day, it was seditious. I mean, for Peter to say out loud in front of people, you are God. This, 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 these are the rumbles of revolution. And praise God for Peter, who's not afraid to just put it right out there, right? You are the Christ. In Matthew's account of the story, we hear the response of Jesus. So let me read that. Matthew 16, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar, Hebrew lesson just means son, son of. Simon, son of Jonah, like I know you, Peter, here you are, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father is in heaven. Peter's getting big time kudos, right? Like you just had a revelation from God. And I tell you, he goes further, and I tell you, you are Peter. Right here is where Peter's name gets changed. It goes from Simon, the son of Jonah, to you are the rock. Is Rocky here? Yeah, I love your name. Like, you can start calling me Rocky if you want. But this is where Peter gets the name Rocky. Right here. You're the guy. You are Peter. And on this rock, you, Peter, on this rock and your faith, however you want to understand that, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter is pretty puffed up at this point. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Not only does Jesus affirm Peter, he tells him, this didn't just come from your brilliant human mind. This is a direct revelation from heaven. He says, Peter, this isn't just your brilliance. This is the Father's revelation. And he not only affirms Peter's relationship with the Father, Peter's ability to receive heavenly information, right? The divine revelation. Further, he gives him a new name. And he says, your new name is Rock. And on you, this declaration of faith that you've made, on you, the, the, the rest, the destiny of the church will be laid on you. You're like a foundation. Now, Jesus is the foundational stone. But P, Jesus says to Peter, I'm building this thing on you. And... Bonus round, spiritual binding and loosing authority, whatever that might mean. I don't know if Peter even catches it at this point. And he strictly charges them to tell no one about him. I've got lots of ideas about why he did that, but it's not the point of this morning, so we'll move on. And so Jesus gives this big speech in front of Peter. Peter's feeling great. And then Jesus goes into teacher mode, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man pointing to himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and three days rise again. And after three days rise again, and he said this plainly. He says this plainly. Remember all the parables we've had so far? He says this plainly. Now that they know who he is, You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus can reveal to them, now here's where I'm leading you. 
Once they get identity, then they can begin to understand where they're going to go with him. This is truly God. Okay, that changes everything. We're going to follow him because that's what we do. And Jesus begins to explain his mission. And he says it will include suffering and it will include rejection and it will include death. This is not multiple choice. And Jesus tacks on the end. Oh, and after three days, resurrection. Don't forget that point. And he says it clearly. This is not a parable. This is not Jesus saying, imagine like I was going to be killed. Or the kingdom of God is like a really important guy who got killed. No. It's a really important phrase. And Jesus said this plainly. Remember all the other parables we've talked about? You know, he says, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. And then, you know, he goes out for the disciples and the disciples are like, what the heck were you talking about? And Jesus explains the secrets of the kingdom. But Jesus says this plainly. Here's what's going to happen. You want to follow me now that you know I'm the Christ. You know who I am. I am God incarnate. You want to follow me. That will include suffering, rejection, and death. And resurrection. It's not parabolic. It's real life suffering. It's real life rejection. It's real life death. And it's real life resurrection. Next verse of scripture and peter took him aside and began to rebuke him you kind of snickered when i read that part because you know what's coming right he was just hailed as you're awesome you got the revelation from god and then and you just got a new name peter and now jesus gives him another name have you ever been called satan before i have it wasn't fun were you there that day I was out here. We had an interaction with a person who was dealing with some issues in their life. And for various reasons, they weren't able to stay here that day. And on, on his way out, he said, thanks a lot, Satan. That didn't feel good. <laughs> I can just tell you, it doesn't feel good when you get called Satan. I'm not sure why I told you that part. <laughs> Peter thinks this would be a good time to tell God what he should do. And so the way Matthew puts it, Matthew puts in, these are Peter's words, far be it from you, Lord. Basically, Peter says, no, Lord. No, Lord. It's like he can't decide which one is true there. No, this will never happen to you. So we, what's Peter thinking here? And I think it's important as we move to a, an actual point in this message to, to get into the mind of Peter because we can run right over it. Like, Peter, what a doofus. Who tells God what to do? Who tells God what to do? <laughs> so at this point, Peter has seen the authority and the power of Jesus over the demonic spirits. Let's just run through very quickly eight chapters of Mark to this point. Peter has seen the authority of Jesus over physical illness, including leprosy, paralysis, disfigurement, bleeding, deafness, muteness, blindness, and death itself. Peter's witnessed it with his own eyes. Peter has seen Jesus tell dead people to get up, and they do it. Peter has seen Jesus with the authority to forgive sins. 
So he's got the spiritual thing. He's seen Jesus with the power over nature itself, storm, wind, waves, the authority over animals. Who has authority over their animal in this? I don't know. We just we think we have authority over our animals, but Jesus tells pigs where to go. He's watched him turn physical material of five loaves of bread and two fish into abundant nutrition for more than 5,000 people, twice. He's watched it with his own eyes. In his own hands, the bread multiplied. He, you know, right there. He's witnessed Jesus defying and correcting the clear spiritual and governmental authorities of the day, which is pretty much like death wish. He's watched Jesus suspend the natural and physical laws of the universe. He walked on water. He saw Jesus walk on water. But not only that, Peter has realized that this power of Jesus is transferable. Right? It's not just like he was watching like, you're an awesome guy. He felt the awesomeness. Peter walked on water. That would have an impact on your faith, wouldn't it? We could practice with our baptismal right here if you want. Jesus gave to Peter and the disciples all authority, right? He gives them authority over demonic spirits and to heal the sick and all this stuff. And Peter walks on water, suspending the natural laws of the universe. So Peter realizes, I've tasted the power of God for the good of people. And it's delivered by Jesus. And it's so easy for us with a full picture of, of the kingdom, you know, the whole scripture and redemption. We even see Revelation, the very end, how it all ends. It's easy for us, all empowered here by Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, the coming of the Holy Spirit, to think we can't imagine how Peter could pull Jesus aside and say, let me explain how this works down here. You came from heaven. You might not get it. Here's how it works down here. You got power. You use it. You don't set it aside. So what was Peter thinking? Maybe Peter was thinking, some of us would do this. He's really good when it comes to sickness, demons, and death, but Jesus isn't good with strategic planning. (laughs) Hold on, I got a book for you about this. Maybe Peter was thinking, hold on, you healed people, and and then you gave us that authority to do that. And now you're talking about suffering, rejection, and death. Wait a minute. You gave us that authority, and we followed you. Now you're talking about suffering, rejection, and death. I'm not sure I want to follow that. That might have been what Peter was thinking. Like, I like the positive stuff. I, give me the happy clappy. But suffering, rejection, and death? He didn't even hear resurrection. I think he got caught up at the end with death. As if death is the end of things, which is a perfectly natural human way of thinking. Death is the end. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Matthew's account, Matthew 16, 23, says to Peter, he just said, Peter, you're the rock. I'm going to build the whole thing on you. Now he says, hold on, you're a hindrance. You were a strong foundational rock. Now you're a stumbling stone. Peter's got to be thinking, man, you know, easy come, easy go. (laughs) Peter was trying to help Jesus, and Jesus says, you are a hindrance. So if you put the mark 
passage together with the Matthew passage. Here's how I looked at it. Jesus is saying, Peter, you were amazing. You spoke with commendable faith. You clearly released by God himself. And you're worthy of being declared as the very foundation of the the victorious church that's coming. In fact, I'm going to give you a new nickname. It's going to be Rock. Everyone's going to call you Rocky. And you're going to be reminded of your testimony of faith. Every time someone speaks your name, you'll remember, I was the one that got it right. You're my new guy. And within minutes, in front of everyone, did you see the part where Jesus is looking at him? And then Jesus looks past Peter to the disciples and he says, disciples, come here. I want you all to hear this. Peter is cringing at this point. wonder why Peter took him aside. Like, hey, no, we're not going to do it this way, Jesus. Did, did something inside him say, this is a really bad idea. I'm about to tell God what to do. I don't know. But Jesus doesn't protect him. He says, okay, everyone come here. Let's talk about Satan here. So what is Jesus saying? And here's where I'm, I'm, I'm admitting. I mean, we're in this story together. We're in the unfolding story of the gospel together. And I'm admitting, I don't know all the answers. I'm, I'm speculating here together with you. I think Jesus might be saying, Peter, you do not have to protect God. You, you, you do not have to be the, the PR guy for the Son of God. You are not responsible for the reputation, the planning, the strategy of heaven. And I think more directly, he's saying, Peter, you don't tell me what to do. I tell you what to do. Now that you understand I'm God, it seems like this should be clear now. You don't tell me what to do. That's called presumption. That's called pride. Says, no, 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 that's not how it works. And he makes it crystal clear to Peter that though his revelation, listen to this, his revelation about the identity of Jesus came straight from heaven. But then he, Peter begins to think like a man, right? I mean, this seems nuanced, but please catch this. He, see, he starts to think like a man. Hey, hold on. That's not how we do it down here. That's not going to work out well. No, Jesus, let's not do that part. Suffering, death, rejection. No, we don't like that. We've seen power. And so he thinks like a man. Who wouldn't think that? No, 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 you've got power. Let's use it, right? He thinks like a man. And Jesus says that human thinking is not just human thinking. That comes from the devil. That one really got me this week. I mean, personally. Because sometimes I think, you know, I'm, uh, here I am before the Lord, and I may not have the faith of you know, the disciples. But, you know, I'm for God. You know, I use my logic sometimes, and that's good. But, but you know, I'm, I would never be on the side of the enemy. I would never be on the side of the enemy. And Jesus says to Peter, that logical thinking of yours, just as the wisdom of you are the Christ came from heaven, that logical thinking of yours makes perfect sense to you, that actually came from the pit of hell. Sometimes we can think that our, 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 our source is it's just kind of even. And I think Peter's saying, no, or Jesus is saying, no, it doesn't work that way. I mean, he really points it out. You were thinking like from God, and now you're thinking like from Satan. 
he condemns Peter's rebuke of what the chosen one of God should or should not allow to happen to him. And he says that's not just the thinking of man, that's speaking for the enemy. Parenthesis on Satan, okay? I'm not going to give Satan the main point. I'm just giving him a parenthesis. He's in the Bible. He's, he's here for real. He's working in the world. If Satan, Satan can get us to think like him, evil, enemy of God, worship the darkness, he's thrilled. If Satan could come in and make all of us be devil worshipers, that would be great for him, right? But according to Jesus, it seems like it is just as, as helpful to the kingdom of darkness if we just think like humans. If we just think like humans, we're going along with the enemy. That's all Peter did was just think like a man. I'm not saying, write down what I'm not saying. I'm not saying logic is bad. I'm not saying wisdom is bad. Those are beautiful gifts from God. I'm just saying at this point, Jesus says to Peter, do not rely on human logic and wisdom. That is not the end game. And sometimes we can make human logic and wisdom, we can couch them in all sorts of uh, spiritual ways, right? And sometimes we can, we can trust in that wisdom rather than in God. Logic, wisdom, strategy, those are, those are given from God. They're divinely There are people divinely enabled with that. We have a whole book in the Bible that's just nuggets of wisdom. Proverbs, 31 chapters, 31 days in the month. You think that's a coincidence? I don't think so. This is good stuff, but not what we put our trust in. So I think Jesus is saying, be wary of rejecting thoughts against God just to settle for thinking like a man or a woman because we've been called to more. Paul says, Colossians 3, just, this, is, this, is, this is the word of God to us. If then you have been raised with Christ, that's a reality, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For reality about the believer, you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We've not been redeemed by God just to avoid worshiping the devil. We've been redeemed by God to think and act like heavenly creatures. Okay? You're not God. I'm not God. We're not going to become gods. That's a whole different religion. But we have the mind of Christ. It's right in the Bible. We're new creations. We're new creatures. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I don't even live anymore. Galatians 2.20. Now Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in this fleshly body, I live for the one who loved me so much that he went through suffering, rejection, and death for me. And then was raised again to to new life. Just like I've been raised again to new life. We have been redeemed for more than just a sanctified human logic. We've been redeemed to think and act like Jesus. Please don't let this part of the message cause you to spurn human wisdom and logic. 
That, that would be completely throwing out a great baby with the bathwater. Don't do it. But don't settle for it. That's my point. Don't settle for it. Let's press in deeper than just human wisdom. We have the mind of Christ. So what will this look like practically? What will it look like to agree with heaven's view, the Father's revelation of our destiny? At the very least, according to Jesus, I'll read the Bible here. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them. Here's Jesus' correction to Peter's human logic. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Jesus has just said to Peter, you were doing great with the revelation from God. You got sidetracked with that whole revelation from the devil. And so I'm going to bring a corrective here. This is how it looks for someone to follow me. It's upside down. I mean, it's a perfect example of the upside, upside down nature of the kingdom. You want your life? Lose it. When you lose it, then you'll find it. Uh, how, I don't know how that works. Jesus speaks plainly. If you follow me in this life, you can expect suffering, rejection, and death. This is not figurative. But Jesus doesn't say, here's your lot in life, suffering, rejection, and death. Because at the end of his plain speech, he says, and be raised from the dead. We think of death as such, an, such a final thing. <laughs> You know, and suffering is a form of death and we hate it. Rejection is a form of death and we hate it. Death is a form of death and we hate it and we avoid it and we push it away. We don't want to embrace any of those things in any way, right? Why don't we want to embrace them? I'm not just going to say because we don't think like God. No, we're humans. We've been made for more than death. We're eternal beings. We've been made for resurrection. So that's why when... When suffering comes, we go, no, there's victory. When rejection comes, we say, no, I'll stand in who I am. When death comes, we'll say, no, let's pray for resurrection. I've, I've, I've stood at caskets in funeral homes and asked God to bring dead bodies back to life with full faith, touching the, the cold body, believing. And I do believe. I mean, it's in the Bible. Everything what did we talk about last week? And even greater things than these. So the question, are you surprised when suffering, rejection, and death come into your life? Don't be surprised. Jesus promised it. But this is still the turning point of the gospel. Now that Peter has declared, Jesus, I know who you are, Peter is getting ready to hear from Jesus, where are you going to lead me? Once he realizes who Jesus is, he's willing, even though he got it wrong at first, he's willing to say, now, Jesus, show me, tell me, teach me where you're going to lead me. If you don't know who Jesus is, you can't handle where he leads. And I think some of us as believers make a mistake right there. 
We think we know who Jesus is. We think we've got him figured out. We have one aspect of the gospel, victory, salvation, eternal life, whatever. And we say, I got Jesus. I, I understand. But until we realize that Jesus is the Christ, the risen one, the chosen one of God, the Savior, God incarnate, the one who makes all things right, the redeemer of all things, until we see who Jesus is in his fullness, we're not ready to follow Jesus where he leads. And that's why we get so messed up with suffering, rejection, and death. I am preaching to myself. I don't like suffering, rejection, and death. I watch movies about it all the time, but I'm just kind of a melancholy. But I don't like those things. I don't want those things. Martyr complex be gone. We don't want that. If he's not to us, the Christ, the chosen one, the son of the living God, God incarnate, we won't be able to follow where he leads. But once we know who he is, once we understand what he's promising, resurrection, empowerment, victory, a new perspective from heaven, Once we decide we're going to follow him no matter what, once we're ready to give everything that we actually want so that we can receive from him everything that we actually need, then the promise of Jesus is you get your soul. And and we just skip over soul. And I won't do a big teaching on the soul, but he's saying if you really want life, give it away because you'll get your soul. You'll get real life. You'll get an eternal kind of life. You'll get an eternal kind of life that has a heavenly perspective, that that sees things from the big picture, not just from the human logical picture, but from God's wisdom perspective. You get your soul, and that soul is, according to Paul in Colossians 3, Christ himself. Somehow, when we give everything else away, we get the most important. We get God. I don't know how else to say that. I know I don't understand it, but we get God. Don't let this message take you to, I'm going to embrace suffering, rejection, and death, and now that's my new God. (laughs) Don't go home and Google Fox's Book of Martyrs. I've done that for years. Don't do it. That's not the point here. That's not the end of the story. That's a part of the journey along the way to resurrection. So we got to be careful. I know people, I've uh, been with people, pastors, who have, who, who have this mindset. You know, I'm not being rejected. I'm not doing, I'm not suffering. I don't have a lot of, people don't hate me like Jesus said they'll hate me. And so I must be doing something wrong. I'll need to be more offensive. I'm not kidding. Like, I'm not, getting the, I'm not getting beaten up like Jesus did, so I better go for it more. As if we're supposed to judge our life in Christ by other people. That's not what he's saying here. When Jesus says, pick up your cross, he doesn't say, fashion your own cross. He doesn't say, you decide what your cross is. He doesn't even say, accept your cross without a conversation with God. Well, he might say it here, but we know the end of the story. Luke 2242, Jesus in the garden, right? Father, if you're willing, please 
take this cup of suffering away from me. Jesus has just promised the disciples suffering, rejection, and death. But when the moment comes, the Son of God, perfect, tempted in every way like us, but yet without sin, says to God, could we do this another way? Like, I really don't want to suffer. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. That's what it means to lose your life, right there. But I want your will, not mine. It doesn't mean I don't have a will. It doesn't mean that my will is evil, my desires are bad. No, I just want your will more than my will. And I'm willing to give up stuff along the way. I'm I'm willing to give up worldly stuff. I'm willing to give up real life stuff for life itself, for Jesus So when we see a cross before us, whether it's suffering, rejection, or death, we can follow the one who said, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. So if you're sick in your body or in your soul or in your mind this morning, I'm going to say, don't just decide this is my cross. Come up and say, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering from me. And we'll see miracles right here. Don't sit in your rejection and suffering assuming that this is God's will for you. It must be just rejection and suffering. You know, I've been down that trail too, decided for a couple of years. I know what my cross is, so I embraced it. And what I was really saying is, God, I do not believe that you can come in to my pain and sin with your healing power. That's called unbelief. I'm trying to afflict the comfortable right here. Remember what Jesus taught, suffering, rejection, death, and resurrection. So pray with faith and ask. And let's ask for more of the now and not so much of the not yet. But when heaven reveals to you what cross you are to carry, pick it up with your eyes focused on Jesus, Hebrews 12. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and now has sat down, his work finished. At the right hand of God. So pick up your cross for the joy set before you and endure it, even if the endurance of that cross feels shameful to you. The cross was a part of the destiny of the Son of God, and we are Christ's brothers and sisters. We are his body. He's our teacher, our master, our Lord. If the cross was a part of the destiny of Jesus, then the cross is a part of our destiny. We can't take this out of the Bible or the teaching of Jesus just because we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. What I love about the vineyard is this radical middle tension between the now and the not yet. I'm going to push, push, push for more than now. But I'm not going to get angry at God or blame people for their lack of faith when we live in a little bit of the cross. If it's a part of the destiny of Jesus the Son of God, and we follow him, then the cross is a part of our destiny. But in carrying the cross assigned to us by a loving Father in heaven who has all eternity in his sights, we can carry the cross with confidence, even with joy. And we'll find that the consolation of God is right in the midst of carrying our cross. And you know what the consolation is? 
God himself. That is the promise. I don't know how to make that happen or explain that any better than if we'll carry the cross, a sign from heaven, walk in faith, press in, eyes fixed on Jesus, that the consolation that we receive is God himself. I stole this quote from Larry Crabb, or who probably stole it from someone, and I've said it a dozen times from this stage, so I'll just do it again. Larry Crabb says, When Jesus is all I have, I realize that Jesus is all I need. And when Jesus is all I need, I realize that Jesus is all I want. An older priest from about 500 years ago said it this way, we ought to give ourselves up to God with regard both to things temporal and spiritual and seek our satisfaction only in the fulfilling of his will, whether he lead us by suffering or consolation, because all would be equal to a soul truly resigned. That gets me every time. It just gets me every time. I'll confess, if you look on the, if you look on the, the prayer room wall, you see all those words, and you see that one equanimity, and you think, what the heck is that? And what kind of a bonehead put that up there? Equanimity. You know what it is? A soul truly resigned. That's what I want for this year. A soul that can take consolation and suffering. I'm not going after suffering. (laughs) I'm really not. But I want God. So, a couple questions for us to close with. Have you decided that Jesus is the Christ? Have you determined, have you expressed your faith that Jesus is the Son of God? Have you given your life, not just your life after death, but your life here on this earth now to him? Have you trusted him wholly? Is Jesus Lord? I think, Jen, you were probably there. There was a Christmas conference, Campus Crusade for Christ, 1980. Back in 82, I think it was. 83, something like that. And I just remember sitting there, about 5,000 people in in Chicago and speaker can't remember who the speaker was i just remember them they they had two words they said write down these two words on your piece of paper in front of you no lord that's what they did so we write everyone doodly does no lord and and then they said we're going to take about five minutes of silence and i want you to decide which one is it for you is he lord or is it no because they were pointing out you don't say no lord If you say no, he's not Lord. If he's Lord and he expresses his will, you don't say no. That had a big impact on me. So, I mean, we we worship Jesus. Is he Lord of your life? Is there any way in which you've settled for thinking like a human when you've actually been crucified, died, buried, and resurrected to eternal life in Christ? Is there any place in your life where you have just settled for thinking like a human, kind of like Peter did? Is there any area in your life where you've settled for thinking like a human and are thus acting as a hindrance to the work of God in and through your own life? Any place where you've settled, you just think, this makes sense to me. I got it. I know how God works. I know it. I'm just going to settle right here. Any place where the Holy Spirit, you don't have to go into morbid introspection, where the Holy Spirit would point out to you, hey, You're thinking like a human, and that human thinking actually has its source in the pit.
You've been destined for more. You have the mind of Christ. Is there anything in the world that you're going after or hanging on to? Any part of your life that you're trying to save right now? You are trying to save right now. You are grasping, holding on to. Make this a prayer. Holy Spirit, is there any place in my life that I am holding on to? I am grasping right now because it feels like without this I can't have life. Anything that looks like life but is battling with Jesus who wants to be the source of your life. When Christ who is your life is revealed, you too will be revealed with him in glory. Let's stand. And Lynn, if you could come forward and the ministry team could come forward. Any ministry team members? I don't know what uh, the Holy Spirit wants to do this morning in us, in you. I don't know exactly what he has spoken to you from the scripture, through the message, during worship. But I know that Jesus always prompted in his relationships with people a response. And so I want to wait, just wait for a, a few moments. And as the Lord prompts response, that might be coming up and having someone pray for you, for healing, for wisdom, for revelation, to repent of some thought process. It might mean turning to someone that you came with and praying with them. It might mean you just take some quiet time before the Lord, kneel. I don't know. But I'm giving you an open invitation to simply respond To many of us this morning, Jesus is saying, who do you say that I am? Spirit, for the gentle breeze of your presence here. Thank you for the sweet sting of conviction. Thank you for the fragrance of consolation and joy.
if uh, you're here this morning and you know because it's it's so clear in your heart that Jesus is not the Lord of your life. You don't even know if you have a relationship with Jesus. This morning is not just an invitation to follow the one who, who promises suffering, rejection, and death, but the one who overcame death and wants to give you life. I mean, real life. So this is your invitation to meet Jesus this morning. Um, as, as Randy said, we want to encourage you to come forward for for prayer for anything, for, for physical healing. I, there's a few things I want to just call out. If, if you have something that's not one of these, still come forward and don't think it's too small. Uh, the first thing I saw was middle back pain, um, more like on the left side. Um, another headaches for any kind of suffering from headaches come forward and, and get prayer for that and then uh, the third thing was was uh, bladder infections whether you have you have one now or you just it's kind of a thing you regularly struggle with come come get prayer for those point to come forward or to turn to someone and pray with them. If you're going to stay in the sanctuary, I'd ask you to pray quietly. And if you're going to have more discussion, I'd ask you to go out into the lobby or go to the prayer wall and sign up for your time. God bless you.